0: Show, just another beer show. It's another show. Just another beer show, but show. show, Hello and welcome to. Episode 5, I think we're on, of the Beery Interesting podcast. The podcast where we have relaxed discussions amidst the horrifying background noise of London's traffic, about classic beer styles, where they came from, how they taste, etc. As episode 4 was focused on German wheat beer, or beer, or Weizen, depending who you ask, it seemed only appropriate that today we talk about Belgian wheat beer, or wit beer, or bière de blanche, uh, depending on who you ask. So without further ado, today I'm going to be drinking a uh, Hogarten. Kind of classic, kind of not. We'll get more into the details of the history of Hogarten in a second. Cheers. Fabulous. So, um, whit beer, as with most beer styles um, from Belgium, kind of goes back originally to sustenance brewing, as with Saison uh, being brewed for sustenance on farms, as with abbey ales being brewed for sustenance in monasteries. Hogarten comes from a tradition of sustenance brewing, and specifically from a a time around about the 15th century. Um, The Hogarten label tells us Anno 1445, um, when hops had not really gained popularity. Um, They were starting to be used from the 14th century in in France and parts of Germany. Um, But they were kind of playing second fiddle to a lot of other herbs and spices, um, often which would be purchased in a kind of bundle, like like a stockpot, if you will, from your local authority. And this was called gruit, G-R-U-I-T. And gruit was the main kind of a bittering and flavouring agent in beer for hundreds of years until hops came to dominance in northern continental Europe and then brought over by the Belgians and uh, into the south of England and the English had a riot, but decided they were going to use them anyway. Uh, just, you know, we don't want your hops. No, actually we changed our mind, we do. Um. So it came from this tradition of brewing with herbs and spices to kind of bitter the beer Balance the sweetness of the malt and provide flavor and aroma and of course, there was medicinal and possibly intoxicating properties of some herbs in use which were thought to be a rather good crack. So hops came to the fore um, towards the end of the sixteenth century and lager brewing as well um, into the kind of latter half of the seventeenth century. Uh, in the south of Germany and pale lager beers then in the 19th century and all of these kind of developments in brewing um, caused some trouble in the slightly stagnating group brewing practices of Belgium and Belgium was one of the last countries to kind of be hit by the the Pilsner wave or this pale lager um, craze that was sweeping not only Europe but the rest of the world as well Um, and eventually All of the Whitbeer brewers of Belgium kind of succumbed to this and and started to go out of business. So I think at the peak in uh, the the city of Hogarten, in kind of the middle of Belgium, there was huge numbers of um, Whitbeer brewers and they uh, really died off. Um, The last uh, Whitbeer brewery in Hogarten closing their doors in 1957 so after the second world war and this is a time where macro lager and, and mass-brewed lagers were really cost-effective and really popular um and there just wasn't really a market for this kind of thing but one enterprising and passionate chap called Pierre Sellis who was a milkman in Hogarten, really loved uh, this this classic Whitbeer style which had just died off and he decided he wanted to revive it, so he kind of experimented with a little garden shed brewery and in 1965 um, sort of built um, a brewery and uh, released his first beer in 1966. And this was really the birth of the Hogarten Brewery, this revival brewery um, harking back to the history and tradition of Whitbeer brewing in the city of Hogarten. There was other cities known for their Whitbeer in the 18th and 19th centuries, Leuven, just outside Brussels, uh, Brussels itself to an extent, um, and the town of Broadbent as well. Um, And the town of Broadbent, of course, in Belgium, was named after the British actor Jim Broadbent. So, moving on. Pierre Sellis um, releases his first revival of Whitbeer in 1966, and he gets in a bit of a, a business deal with... Stella artois and sells part of his brewery and as often happens the large brewery sort of take control of some of the brewing practices and the original brewer isn't happy so Pierre Sellis ends up decamping and emigrating to the states where he sets up um, his eponymous brewery and creates Sellis White this sort of modern American uh, revival wit beer. I think in Texas he was based if I'm not mistaken, and this uh, Sellers White released sometime in the early 90s, maybe 92, 93, so really riding the wave of the early uh, microbrewery and craft brewery boom in the USA, and it becomes hugely popular um, and gets kind of a, this cult following, um, and then he gets in some more business dealings, unfortunately, with a macro brewery. this time I think Miller and um, yeah, it's, just, it's a bit of a sad story, a really incredible story of Pierce Ellis, um, but a sad one at a couple of different junctures. Um, I think what's really remarkable is that there's very, very few beer styles that we drink today which we can attribute their popularity and survival and very existence to one man. The other possible example being um, California Common or Steam Beer. Um, that kind of association with, with Fritz Maytag and his rescuing of the Anchor Brewery in San Francisco. But that's a story for another day. Maybe we'll do that on, on episode six. But Pierre Cellis really kind of single-handedly revived the, the dead and dying and deceased and no longer living beer style of, of Belgian wheat beer and brought it back to the fore in, in modern craft brewing in the States. So uh, really an incredible legacy so the original ho brewery in belgium now a- in bev ab in bev owned um which is a shame um other kind of classic examples um there are many um often in the french speaking parts of belgium or in france itself referred to as as blanche beers or or white beers um just like the the belgian wit beer which means white beer um the name coming from the very very pale color and the haze from the protein in the wheat so this sort of almost milky opalescence that Whitbeer uh, tends to exhibit. It's really, really beautiful, Um, is is where the name comes from. So you have um, Blanche de Bruzelles, the the Brussels white beer, um, as well as Blanche de Bruges from Bruges. Um, You've got a couple of monastic uh, Whitbeers brewed in monasteries. You've got Saint Bernardus white beer. You have also got La Trappe from the Dutch, uh, Trappist Brewery, they do a wit beer as well um, and some incredible kind of modern craft examples, most notably I think from Allagash Allagash um, have the very very infamous Allagash White um, another kind of very cultish and very sought after American craft brood example of a Belgian wit if you're on this side of the pond In noisy London, like I am. It's rather hard to get your hands on. Fresh cans of Allagash White, much to my chagrin. Happily, um, Brew by Numbers in Bermondsey, brew a great wit beer. I think Anne Spatch um, did a wit beer as well, down in in Burmo in South London. There's been a few um, pretty cool takes on it from British craft breweries. Um, so it really is kind of seeing a, another revival, which is quite nice. Um, I think it would be remiss of me as well to talk about British whip beers and not mention uh, Duration, who are doing some incredible uh, kind of Belgian wheaty and grisettes and various bits and bobs, which is really nice to see in a in a kind of core range from a brewery like that. So shout out to Duration. So what what is a Belgian whip beer? What does it look like? What does it taste like? What What's in it? Um as i said it's kind of coming from this group brewing tradition so the use of herbs and spices uh, the main two most traditional would be coriander and orange peel when i say coriander i don't mean coriander leaf fresh coriander cilantro whatever you call it Um this is coriander seed so sort of drier earthy dry spice without any of that slight soapy uh, citrus note that some people detest and others adore. I'm on the adore side of the fence with fresh coriander but this is dry coriander. And then orange peel, Um, it can be bitter orange peel, curacao orange um, often is used Um, sometimes dried orange peel and dried citrus is used. um, In a lot of modern examples it'll be fresh peel because we know that it's higher oil content and gives a sort of brighter citrus impression. Um, So if you're homebrewing, I would definitely recommend using fresh orange peel um, and try to avoid the white pith, which can be quite bitter. Um, Just use the sort of very top layer of the the skin of the the orange. Um, Other fairly common spices uh, would be grains of paradise, um, sometimes cumin seed or or cinnamon bark. Occasionally you will see chamomile used and Randy Mosher of um, Tasting Beer Fame, the author. Advocates using chamomile, and in a home brew, you can even use chamomile tea uh, as an infusion into your whipped beer and get a really interesting, really nice, uh, complex, and slightly floral flavor profile there. One of the main notes is that the spices really shouldn't be overwhelming, they should be very much in balance and in harmony with the rest of the beer, and specifically in balance and harmony with the slight spicy phenols produced by the yeast. One point of confusion can be the difference between a Belgian Witbier, or biere Blanche, and a German Weizen, or Weissbier. Um, while Weissbier does mean white beer, um, they're not the same style by any means. Uh, wit beers actually tend to be a little bit paler than German uh, Weizens. German Witbier really just occupies the range of two to four SRM on the standard reference method, which is very very pale, kind of pale straw, Um, at its lightest, and at its darkest, really just very, very pale yellow. It doesn't really get into that golden territory that a Hefeweizen can occupy occasionally. And the German uh, Weizens, as mentioned last week, are very driven by this um, kind of ester and phenol one-two punch of isoamyl acetate and four-vinyl guacol, that kind of bubblegum and banana sweet fruit, And that very um, unique and specific clove spice uh, from the 4-Vinyl Guacol. And you don't really get that in a Belgian whip beer. Um, It's a different strain of yeast, so it doesn't really produce that very specific 4-VG uh, phenol. Um, And that's also because um, the grist is slightly different. Um, The the mash isn't getting this ferulic acid rest that I talked about last week around the 45 degree C mark. Um, The wheat that's used isn't malted wheat as it is in Germany. Um, usually, uh, Belgian wheat grist will contain unmalted wheat, about 50%, and the other 50% being pale barley malt, often pilsner malt. So the fact that it's unmalted is is quite different. And um, That kind of harks back to a time when Belgian brewers were um, really taxed on the amount of malt they were using, and the easiest way to avoid paying tax is to swap out the malt for something else. Um, so if, if you up the taxes on my malted barley, I just swap out half the grist for an unmalted wheat or other adjunct grains like that. Um, so that's really where the, it's, a, it's a necessity back then to avoid paying tax, which has resulted in this incredible uh, historic and interesting beer style. Um, there can also be occasionally additions of aromatic um, malts, Munich malts, melanoidin malts in small quantities, even oats at times in the kind of five to ten percent of the grist range and these small additions of, of aromatic in Melanoid and melanoidin and Munich and oats um, can give slight honey tones possibly um, they can definitely result in sort of very very light vanilla bean um, kind of just whispers just, um, just kind of hinting at it um, and giving complexity and giving more body and more mouth feel um, which is really nice the beer should still be really dry, um, really crisp, well attenuated, really refreshing, absolutely. Um, and the sweet maltiness and, and the additions of spice should never ever kind of overpower or become, um, become overbearing in any way. Um, there should be high carbonation, as is fairly typical with um, belgian beers as well as a, a fairly classic dry finish in belgian beers so that really does create a refreshing impression um, and stops anything getting too cloying in the mouth which is super key Um drinkability as always in belgian beers much thought about the head on the beer the foam should be really really long lasting uh, when you pour, it should be a really big frothy white head, um, and the retention on the head should be really ne- next level. That kind of high percentage of unmalted wheat is adding a lot of um, good protein and complex um, foam-positive material into the beer, uh, which really props up that head and makes sure that it, it, it's got a real kind of uh, long-lasting effect in the glass, uh, which is wonderfully aesthetic to look at, but also very practical and and beneficial for the enjoyment of the beer, releasing aromatic compounds to your nose and protecting the beer from oxidation, etc. I was listening to uh, Charlie Bamforth, the uh, Pope of Foam, or the uh, Sultan of Suds, as he has been known, talking about foam stability on a podcast uh, earlier in the week. So that reminded me to talk more than usual about foam on this specific episode, Um, especially if the beer is served in its... um, traditional kind of belgian tulip glass that style is of glassware is really going to support a stable head uh, Hogarten has its own kind of glass this sort of um faceted uh, tumbler um very similar to a french jelly glass um which is is really just this kind of um very practical uh, like jam jar looking tumbler i'm sure everyone's seen a Hogarten glass before uh, with kind of faceted edges on it um and it's nothing fancy it's very practical as befits the origins of the style, um, but I do think this beer is, is actually nicer out of a, a tulip glass, um, so if you have a Belgian tulip glass, drink it out of that. If not, doesn't matter, it's just a glass. Enjoy your beer however you like. Uh, drink it out of a shoe, drink it out of the bottle. Um, Yeah, just enjoy it. So... We've kind of covered the history and where it came from, we've talked about Piercellus, we've talked about what goes into the beer. Um, maybe I'll just briefly mention hops, they should be kind of traditional um, Sazer hops or, or Goldings hops or kind of um, traditional noble or land race North European varietals and they should really take a backseat. seat. Um, hop flavour and hop bitterness in these beers tends to um, go against the the subtleties of the spice, the additions of the citrus peel. Um, the kind of esters and phenols of the Belgian yeast that's being used. Um, It's not a big sort of raucous um, Weizen yeast like in Germany. It's a a Belgian ale yeast and it's not really fermented too hot, so it shouldn't be really punchy. Um, It should support the fruit and spice additions uh, with fruity and spicy esters and phenols without kind of being um, overly noticeable. Um, And hops really are there to provide balance while staying largely out of the way. Um, so that's that. If we move on to uh, food pairings for a Whip beer, um, I think lunch dishes are really nice with whipped beer um, I like um, eggs, I like omelette, French omelette with Whip beer is really fun um, it's a super buttery type of omelette and the mouthfeel of the Hogarten from the unmalted wheat is really really smooth almost creamy to an extent Uh, So you've got a really bright, refreshing beer, but with this really interesting, creamy mouthfeel that kind of um, resonates really nicely with like a sort of buttery, creamy, decadent uh, French omelette. Especially if you're having it with like fresh chives on top, that sort of bright, oniony note from the chives. Um, It's going to play really nice with some of the savoury spice from the the spice additions in the whip beer. Um, I think fish dishes um, like sushi or sashimi. I think crab. I think fresh whole crab is fantastic with wit beer, I think um, smoked salmon works really well. Um, I would say certain cheeses will play really nice with a wit beer. I like it with um, sort of bloomy rinded cheeses with a little bit of age on them, a little bit of a bloomy rind. I think um, certain goat's cheeses and a nice chevre is great with Haugarten. um For me, if I'm drinking something like a Blanche de Bruzelles, The best possible thing I could have with it is uh, Rochefort and Walnut and um, sort of smoky bacon salad, that kind of like salty and funky cheese and nuttiness and the uh, white beer really kind of cuts through all of it and lifts the palate and you have the savoury spice but then that kind of big hit of bitter orange and the carbonation that really rinses through all those kind of heavier fatty flavours. I think that's a a really great pairing. Um, Anything with citrus flavors in the food is going to work well, generally speaking. So if you have a a sauce or a salad dressing or a marinade with uh, orange juice in it, for example, or grapefruit, that will work really well. Um, But I would say just beware of anything that's overly spicy. Um, So yeah, this is kind of up to personal preference. Some people love a Thai curry with a, a wit beer. Um, for me, if it's a milder, more coconutty curry um, with some of those kind of lemongrass aromatics coming through, it can be a brilliant pairing. Um, but if it gets a bit too fiery and it's a bit heavy on the bird's eye chilies, uh, the whipped beer doesn't quite stand up to that intensity um, because it really isn't an overly intense beer. It's not intense in alcohol. Um, it's quite subtle in the balance of spice and citrus. It's not as raucous in yeast um, presence as a lot of other hotter fermented Belgian ales can be. And all that wheat in the grist means it has a really sort of soft and fluffy um, mouthfeel um, and too much capsaicin, too much that chilli heat in in a dish can really overpower those kind of uh, levels of flavour. One more kind of really fun uh, dessert pairing with a wit beer um, which I've enjoyed in the past has been like a panna cotta um, or even if you're in France you'll see a lot of creme caramel or... or, um, crème brûlée and I think those sort of creamy set custard type desserts with uh, whipped beer um, are, are really really nice Um so try and get one of those in if you can hopefully that's been interesting uh, we've kept it quite short today don't want to drag on talking about wit beer although I could for probably another hour if I wanted to Um, but we would all fall asleep um, and I might even put myself asleep so um, without much ado um, grab yourself a Belgian wit. Um, hopefully you enjoy. Uh, hopefully you come back next week, where I guess I've already agreed to talk about uh, California Common, or or Steam Beer, that kind of interesting Prohibition, uh, San Francisco-Californian uh, lager hill hybrid. Um, so grab yourself a bottle of that. And in the next episode, um, we'll crack an anchor steam and talk about Cali Common. Um, that's it for now. Thanks for listening, and this has hopefully been very interesting.